1: He tēnei, nā te reo o and
0: we're into
2: extra time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Well, the Silver Ferns are finally back on court. This week playing in Palmerston North against New Zealand A, the New Zealand men's team and the New Zealand under 21 side. That's all in preparation for next week's three test series against Commonwealth Games champions England and Hamilton. It's a new era for the Silver Ferns, with leading players from the World Cup success in Liverpool last year having retired. Laura Langman, Casey Kopua and Maria Folau have all gone, so the Ferns are in a rebuilding phase. To discuss just how all that's going, we're joined by Kiri Wills from the Silver Ferns coaching staff, sports journalist Bridget Tunnicliffe from RNZ and locker rooms Suzanne McFadden. Kiri, welcome in. Um, what have you made of the Silver Ferns' form this Palm Mr North tournament, and where do you think things are heading ahead of England next week?
3: probably not where we would you know we we want to play slick sublime netball but the reality is is that um, we're working on a few things and different combinations and this is a little bit of a trial situation so um, there's a lot more changes than you would normally see Um, but I think um, people can be reassured that the athletes have played a lot of netball this year through ANZ Premiership and our context has given us a little bit of an advantage through COVID-19, actually. We've had a lot of netball um, domestically, and these players have all survived two very, very, very tough camps before coming into this series. And, of course, um, the men in particular are just amazing um, opponents to play before a series. So I think by the time um, the Silver Ferns hit England, um, you will see some pretty good netball.
2: You talk about playing slick netball, but things not quite where you want them to be. What what in particular, I suppose, have, has this tournament highlighted as to where things just not quite hitting the, the mark?
3: Oh, it's, it's really, and, I, and I, it's so cliched, but it's just the connections on court. As you mentioned in your intro, there is a bit of change in this team and um, there's a new leadership group um, and there's new players coming in and it's everybody finding their feet and playing playing the level of netball that um, we've come to expect from the Silver Ferns, from that amazing World Cup squad. So um, some the connections have just got a little bit um, to go and the new players coming in are getting better each time but they've got to come up and meet those very strict standards that Nolan sets out.
2: Yeah, very much sort of a, there's a development phase, isn't there, for, for many players.
3: Yeah, I, I, development to me, I, I kind of think of the under-21s. I, it's just the way I think, but I, what we're trying to do is build capacity in players and therefore build the capacity of um, of the squads, both Silver Ferns and below, so that there are more players um, to choose from when the time comes. And I think we're seeing quite a bit of competition, um, particularly in that mid-court. So The capacity is there in terms of the raw talent and now it's about um, people stepping up into a zone that they've never been in before, which um, for some of them is challenging. So yeah, but that's what high performance is all about.
2: I mean, certainly one player on the development pathway is 18-year-old Northern Mystics goal shoot Grace Wicky, the New Zealand-born Wicky, whose parents came to New Zealand from Nigeria, is 1.93 metres tall, or 6 foot 3. But she only started playing netball five years ago at Avondale College, and she was then spotted at the Teppai Park Courts in Henderson by New Jack's club president, Millie Ma- Manuel Nathan. Millie Manuel Nathan told Morning Reports' Corinne Dan earlier this week, to start with, the only thing Wicky had going for her was her height.
1: She was watching a friend playing and um, I was coaching one of my baby teams and I just happened to see her standing there it was the height that caught my eye. I looked at her and I said, do you play nipple? And she said, oh, sort of. And I said, oh, do you play for school? And she said, yes. And she, I said, do you enjoy it? Are you a good player? Because of her height. She said, oh, sort of. So I said, do you want to come and play? Play club. And she said, oh, OK then. And I said, come on, have a game today. And she said, oh, no, next week. So I couldn't wait. 'cause of the height I thought, Whoa, I've just got myself a silver fern that was in my mind. So what? when she comes the following week to play for me, wow, that was a nightmare, to be honest. Couldn't catch, couldn't jump, couldn't do anything.
4: But you clearly saw something special and so what happened then? You just she picked it up pretty
2: quick?
1: No, she didn't. It took it took us like two and a half years. Wow. And that's, and that's been really pushing her, um She's lucky that in my club we have ANZ players, so she had the um, privilege of playing with Grace and Rachel Rasmussen, so, you know, they were giving their little bit as well. And then she got in the representative teams for our centre, but only because of height, it wasn't because she was good. But we knew that she had something there, and I wanted to keep at her, keep at her, you know, so she can look ahead at what she can achieve and what she's got.
4: So, there must have been some real um determination for her to stick at it if she was struggling to begin with so that so she must have seen the potential that you were, you saw in her.
5: Yes,
1: I think it was the uh, environment she was in. We were a Nepal club that we um we don't have flash people, and we're a whanau group, so she felt you know part of us um we were i was I took her in like a far mo so that's my you know adopted child. So I brought her into the club and she became one of my daughters and one of everyone else's sisters. And it was hard for her because of her, because she's Nigerian. And, you know, Nigerians are very shy people. They're very respected people too. They respect everybody. And to get her into our environment, it made her, it took her like maybe a year or two to get herself confident with us before she really started excelling. Finally, I mean, you think this is the start of a long career? Oh, it is. It is. She's going to do New Zealand proud.
2: That's mate Manuel Nathan talking about Grace Weckie. And finally here on the, the netball courts in Auckland, um, Suzanne, given where Grace has got to in just five years, I mean, Melly seems a bit of a tough taskmaster. Um, she certainly appears to be an international star of the future, though.
5: She does. I'm sorry, Melly just cracked me up. That was brilliant. There was, you know, the girl couldn't play netball when she first went on the court and, and it wasn't, something that she learned quickly. But I think we're seeing, seeing the real quick part of her um, development now. And sure, you know, she's she has made some mistakes out there on court for the Silver Ferns in the last two games, but there's still that raw talent that Kitty talks about. And, you know, these are the players that we now need to bring through. And what an incredible time to be able to, introduce players like Grace into an international netball environment. And I think that she will only thrive from here. So the thing that I've really loved about this series is seeing that talent in the younger group coming through and uh, players like Xavier Tui, uh, one incredible young shooter she is as well, and uh, Paris Mason, Paris, Lokotui. I mean, there's just great hope for the future for the Silver Ferns, and I love that there is this ability to bring them into an environment like this now, let them sharpen their teeth, and at the same time get used to the really, um, I don't want to say strict, but... Um, the standards that Nolene insists on and the standards that will keep New Zealand, I think, at the very top of netball for years to come.
2: Kerry, the, the younger players seem to have struggled with meeting those high fitness standards that, that Dame Nolene has set. So, so it says a lot for Grace so that, that she's achieved that. And uh, Yeah,
3: absolutely. Um, the yo-yo is not made for... Um, non, you know, long, lanky um, athletes. And so for her to really do that at her age now is an amazing, um, it's an amazing achievement. And what I've seen of her is she is very, very good at taking in quite a lot of information. She's had a lot of coaching in the last three weeks. um, And she's very good at taking all that information and prioritizing it and paying attention to the, 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 you know, she's very good at focusing in on what needs to be done at the time. And so um, I just think it shows that she's she really wants it. She's a a hard worker. She's an intelligent girl. And then to go after that yo-yo so early and to nail it, um, it was pretty impressive to watch, actually. She's very, very athletic. Uh, I think we haven't probably seen... Um, the range that she is capable of, she is she's going to be bloody awesome. <laughs> she's so athletic and powerful. Um, there's a lot more to see of this girl. <laughs>
2: there, there must be a huge amount of information overload. You're talking an 18-year-old, yeah. and coping with that is possibly is possibly harder than the playing aspect.
1: Yeah,
3: and so we've tried to narrow it down yesterday. Um, we've given her two things to focus on, and you know what? She's She's been nailing those two things, and it will come together. She she does need a bit of time, and she does need some more work, but um, the way that she is approaching it uh, um, just means that she is going to be a success. I've been really, really impressed.
2: Bridget, given the lack of international play, um Developing players and moving them along to the national standard. Um, it would seem a hard task for Dame Nolene. How is she getting on with that job, in, in your opinion?
0: Oh, re- really well. Um, I mean... Uh, this series, uh, we've had some really close results between you know, the Silver Ferns, um, the Under-21s and the New Zealand A's. There really hasn't been many goals be- um, gold uh, uh, blowouts between those games. Um, so it just shows how, you know, that she's really building that depth underneath. And those players in the Under-21s and New Zealand A's, nothing's stopping them from um, getting into that Silver Fern squad ahead of England next week. Um, and we've seen uh, Monica Faulkner, uh, she's been uh, really impressive this week so far um, and uh, you know the Silver Ferns were beaten by the men last night by 13 goals that kind of competition the last time the Silver Ferns played the diamonds they would give us the over the years they've given us the toughest competition in the Kong Cup last year three out of four of those games came down to one or two goals it was so tight so for the Silver Ferns to playing opposition the New Zealand men beating them by 13 goals when you look at it like that, it's better competition than the Australians. So um, yeah, it's brilliant that we've got this um, competition.
2: Kerry, does that, I mean, you touched on it before, but do, do, do there need to be more games between the New Zealand men's team and the Silver Ferns? I mean, they obviously played them ahead of the uh, World Cup last year and um, I think lost by about 12 goals, but, but it's a possibly a formula that that, that works?
3: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's proven to work, you know. Um, and you, if you talk to Nolan, she'll say it was a critical factor last year in terms of their preparation for World Cup. And um, and we think that they've got, you know, like they've got better um, <laughs> since last year. So um, it it is really critical for us to play them. They are so physical, and the girls have to work really hard and play really smart to to take them on. And so it's, uh, it's certainly a challenge. And it's, it's the best way of learning, you know. If you're you put under the pump and um, you examine yourself a lot more closely when you don't have a good outcome, so it's been it's been good for us. Um, but we want to win the game tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Kitty, do you think the players have found it quite difficult going from the forty-eight minute games that they had at the ANZ to these sixty-minute games?
3: No, look, I my um, my take on it is it's actually been a really tough three weeks. Um, aside from the 60-minute games, these guys are professional athletes. They train really hard. The fitness standards to even get into the Silver Ferns mean that they are prepared and they will be okay once we run players out for 60. I don't think we've only had a few players run the full 60 just because we're um, testing combinations and athletes out. But it's actually more, if they're looking... Tired, which I don't know that many of them are, but they—it's more because the lead into this has been very tough.
2: Suzanne, England are missing several key players for the three tests. How much opposition are they going to provide the Silver Ferns?
5: I think it's going to be really interesting, Stephen. Now, don't judge me, but I actually feel for the Roses. I think they've um, got the odds stacked against them in this series. They haven't had any good, strong netball for, gosh, nine months probably since the Nations Cup in January. You know, they've been in quarantine in Christchurch for the last two weeks. I think they come out today. And, you know, some of their most experienced players didn't come here because of Australia, them being involved in Australia's Super Netball League. They also lost their new coach, Jess Thilby, who was stopped from coming here because she returned a positive COVID test just before they left. I know that she's still kind of trying to help the team on um, Zoom calls and phone calls, but it's not quite the same as being with your team, is it? So um, I would love to think that they will put up a good fight. You know, they've got some, still got some great players. They've got Serena Guthrie who'll play her 100th game a test match um, probably while she's here in New Zealand, and Jade Clark, both of those have lived in New Zealand and played netball here. Um, but we're also going to see some new exciting players like George Fisher, the shooter who signed for the Steel next season. So uh, I think the Silver fans will have a real big advantage over them, though.
2: Uh, just on sort of a, another topic, I'm, I'm keen to get your your opinion from the, the three of you. Super netball in Australia is going to continue with its divisive super shot in 2021 after trying the changes this season. How long, Bridget, is it before it's going to be brought in here for the likes of the ANZ Premiership or, or even internationally?
0: Um, I think as long as Nolene Tota is in charge of netball and in charge of the Silver Ferns in New Zealand, uh, there's no way that's going to happen at the ANZ Premiership. She's already said um, that two-point shots, that sort of thing, is, should be reserved for fast five netball. Um, and she doesn't see the benefit on having different rules in the ANZ and, for example, and having it at international level. So as long as I think Nolene is in charge, uh, we're not going to see it here.
2: Kerry, your, your, your thoughts around the whole two-point shot? All
0: of the ANZ Premiership coaches were asked um,
3: their opinion on whether we should put the two-point shot into the ANZ Premiership and it was a unanimous no. Um, Bridget's hit the nail on the head. We we um, want to win World Championships and Commonwealth Games gold medals and if you are playing a different role week in and week out in your domestic competition, it's not going to prepare you as well for the international competition so unless if uh, sorry it's not if anymore INF move on those rules um then there's no way that we will and um well (laughs) from the coaching staff that's what we think but um yeah it's just not good preparation and INF are pretty traditional they 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 want to keep the separation between basketball and netball quite clear. They're two different games, and so for them to change, I think that would be, yeah, that's that's a huge mind shift for them, and I just can't see it happening.
2: It is quite a a, a dynamic shift, isn't it?
3: Mm, mm, definitely, and and the traditionalists, I N F are definitely traditionalists um, in terms of the way that they view the rules of the game. I mean, even getting little changes to the rules. Um, you have to wait for an eight-year cycle before the rules are changed and things like that. So to bring in a two-point rule, um, yeah, it would be, it's its just a, a total mind shift for them and I, I can't see it.
2: What, what, what about you, just your personal feeling around it?
3: I'm a former shooter and I, I love the way that um, New Zealand in particular plays the shooting circle and that you can be really dynamic and and move players around and I think that the, um, two point shot, it does um, take away from the skill of splitting the defenders apart. We are in a fortunate position in New Zealand where we actually have uh, shooters who would do quite well over there shooting two point shots. You know, Amelia Ann Meyer's shooting range has grown, Monica Faulkner's shooting range has grown. We've got shooters across the country who can shoot long shots, so we don't need it to encourage that. And I think the issue with SSN is because they've got so many um, massive goal shoots, It was becoming just a lob pass into the back, and then up goes a shot. I mean, we've got, we've got Grace, who is going to be that kind of shooter, but that's okay. Um, having that that diversity of skill set is is really good for our country. Um, yeah, so that's my personal view. I think we I think we play better without it. So.
2: Suzanne, I suppose one benefit of Australia having that two-point shot is that we get to see Caitlin Bassett playing here.
5: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and some people might not agree that that's a benefit. But, um, it, yeah, it will be um, really interesting to see how she adapts to New Zealand netball. I think she'll enjoy it. Uh, but like Kitty says, you know, we do have the shooters who um, can put up those long-range shots. And so if it did come in, i don't think it would hamper our game at all, but uh, I honestly don't want to see it here.
2: Kerry Wells, Bridget Tunnicliffe and Suzanne McFadden, thank you very much for your time on Extra Time today. Two New Zealand drivers are front and centre ahead of the final race of the IndyCar Championship in Florida. Scott Dixon's chasing a sixth IndyCar Championship on the streets of St Petersburg on Monday morning. But the event will also be the IndyCar debut for Scott McLaughlin. He's jetted straight to the US, having just wrapped up his third consecutive crown in the Australian Supercar Series. Clay Wilson spoke with motorsport commentator Bob McMurray ahead of the race and started by asking how Dixon would be feeling with his overall lead, having been whittled down to just 32 points by nearest challenger Joseph Newgarden.
6: The championship is Newgarden's to win and Scott's to lose at this moment. Scott is a very experienced driver. He'll be obviously taking that on board. And, you know, as much as somebody wants to win a race, I think Scott would be quite happy if he came anywhere between first and eighth, as long as Joseph Newgarten was um, behind him in some form or another. In fact, if Joseph Newgarten was behind him in the results at all. So, you know, Scott is in a very good position. But um, motor racing, it's a funny old sport, isn't it? And um, things can happen, and we've seen Scott make mistakes lately. So... Let's hope he doesn't make a mistake this weekend.
7: Given he is in the box seat, if he does go on to wrap this thing up, what more can we say? A lot's been said about Scott Dixon and how great he is and what he's done, but what more can we say about how good he is if he does go on to complete this thing?
6: Yeah, Interesting question. I don't know because he's already in the echelon of the top winning drivers ever of IndyCar, so he can only get better at that and rack up more championships or wins. I don't know what more you could say about Scott. I suppose the old word role model comes in to people who uh, are thinking about race driving. If you act like Scott does, humility, great uh, confidence, friendly, and well-known as a clean racing driver, and with all the attributes he's got about protecting the tyres on the car and fuel mileage, I don't know what other accolade you can bring to him. It's just sad that he wasn't able to show that skill in Formula One, because I think if the chance had come his way more than it did, I think he would have been almost equally as successful in Formula One in in, in his own way.
7: Looking at Scott McLaughlin now, it's obviously been a, a whirlwind couple of weeks for him with Bathurst and then getting straight on the plane to the US. How challenging will that be, not only crossing the Pacific Ocean and going to the US, but also transitioning straight from that supercar series into a, an IndyCar and something that's reasonably foreign to him, even though he's done those tests?
6: It's not going to be the easiest thing in the world. He's a race driver. He's got plenty of confidence. He comes with all the confidence of being the fastest driver, um, or one of the fastest drivers in supercars. So he goes there knowing that he's got the might of one of the best teams going behind him. He's got all the help he needs and all the facilities he needs to be a good racing driver. He is a good racing driver. The only thing he hasn't dealt with, really, is a race amongst 20, 30 other drivers who are well-experienced, mostly well-experienced in that championship. The challenge of driving around a semi-street circuit like St Petersburg is huge. Let's not um, fool ourselves. It is a big, big challenge. The first challenge he's got to do is to um, keep it off the walls. Second challenge, finish the race. And third challenge is just to uh, be competitive.
7: There's almost been just as much interest in how he's going to go in this race as to if this is going to be a permanent move or not. There was a lot of questions leading up to Bathurst, after Bathurst, and he's kept his cards pretty close to his chest. Do you believe that he's looking at this as a a full-time over something that's seriously in the mix here?
6: I believe he is looking at it like that. Yes, I believe he thinks his future is in America. But don't forget he's contracted to Roger Penske. And it's up to Roger Penske to decide whether he wants him to continue in Australia or in supercars, or whether he wants him to transition to IndyCar. I suspect, um, my own opinion, is that it's a done and dusted deal that he's going to be in IndyCars. But, uh, of course, it'll be what Roger Penske decides is going to happen to be what happens. But if he puts up a good showing this weekend, why wouldn't he be in IndyCars? I think it's a very logical um, next step for him.
2: That's motorsport commentator Bob McMurray talking to Clay Wilson ahead of the final race of the IndyCar Championship on Monday morning. Now, short champion Dame Valerie Adams has changed coaches in a bid to shake things up ahead of next year's Tokyo Olympics. Adams is now under the guidance of Dale Stevenson, who also coaches men's champion Tom Walsh. She'll relocate from Auckland to Christchurch for up to a few days a week in an effort to get out of what she describes as her comfort zone. Adams has been coached by Athletics New Zealand's high performance director Scott Goodman since the 2016 Olympics. She has two young children, including one with type one diabetes, so Goodman admits there's some initial concerns around making the change.
4: She's a little bit uncertain the time away from family and so on, but I just think it reflects where we're at at the moment is where she wants to be competitive as possible in um tokyo so uh, yeah, Tom and val um they play off each other like they they stir each other along so that's what when Val talks to you know mixing it up and like like it just creates a different environment with a, a group of athletes there all, all working with the same objective of trying to get the best out of themselves it, It's about stimulus and training environment and c- because traveling to compete's not an option, and um, Tom has just had a, a six month block where he normally would have been overseas competing against the world's best so like that creating a group of people that are like-minded, are going to push the, push each other. That that group already exists with Dale's group, so Val's going to go in there and hopefully she adds value at all levels to that group.
2: In the gym also, that sort of can be a competitive, it's not just in the circle and everything yeah. as well.
4: You know, when I'm talking about that training environment, that's probably more what I'm referring to. It, it can carry over into the technical or throwing sessions, but it, it's the strength and conditioning environment that the, those guys create is quite phenomenal so through COVID you know I was going down and meeting Val and training in a gym in her garage you know and to be able to go into an environment with half a dozen other people and, and the environment that creates and music and people you know hanging on each other and you know yelling at each other to have a, a better crack that's the environment that she can work in with down there so it's, For her, it's really
2: exciting. Her commitment to the Olympics, obviously, to be away from your family for four days of the week or whatever is is a big call, isn't
4: it? It's phenomenal. And, you know, with um, the young boy Kepler early being diagnosed with diabetes about probably eight weeks ago now, type 1 diabetes, you know, like the stress on the family around that and the stress for Valerie and... You know, it's a big commitment, but the way she's looking at it, she won't get another chance in her life to do this. And her family and everyone are are supporting her. And um, our program, you know, myself personally, we will do everything we can to help her.
2: That's Scott Goodman of Athletics New Zealand talking to Barry Guy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Kerry Wills from the Silver Ferns, Locker Room, Suzanne McFadden and RNZ's Bridget Tunnycliffe. Extra Time's available every Friday from about 4pm. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, and, of course, at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot. It means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Stephen Hewson. Ka kite anō.